Book Three, Chapter Two of Les Miserables, translated by Isabel F. Hapgood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Cho. Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, Book Three, in the Year 1817, Chapter Two, A Double Quartet. These Parisians came, one from Toulouse, another from Limoges, the third from Cahors, and the fourth from Montauban. But they were students, and when one says student, one says Parisian. To study in Paris is to be born in Paris. These young men were insignificant. Every one has seen such faces, four specimens of humanity taken at random, neither good nor bad, neither wise nor ignorant, neither geniuses nor fools, handsome with that charming April which is called twenty years. They were four Oscars, for at that epoch Arthur's did not yet exist. Burn for him the perfumes of Araby, exclaimed Romance. Oscar advances. Oscar, I shall behold him. People had just emerged from Ossian. Elegance was Scandinavian and Caledonian. The pure English style was only to prevail later, and the first of the Arthurs, Wellington, had but just won the Battle of Waterloo. These Oscars bore the names, one of Félix Tholomyès of Toulouse, the second Listolier of Cahors, the next Fameuil of Limoges, the last Blachevel of Montauban. Naturally, each of them had his mistress. Blachevelle loved Favorite, so named because she had been in England. Listolier adored Dahlia, who had taken for her nickname the name of a flower. Fameuil idolized Zephine, an abridgment of Josephine. Tholomyès had Fantine, called the Blonde, because of her beautiful sunny hair. Favorite, Dahlia, Zephine, and Fantine were four ravishing young women, perfumed and radiant, still a little like working women, and not yet entirely divorced from their needles, somewhat disturbed by intrigues, but still retaining on their faces something of the serenity of toil, and in their souls that flower of honesty which survives the first fall in woman. One of the four was called the young, because she was the youngest of them and one was called the old. The old one was twenty-three. Not to conceal anything, the three first were more experienced, more heedless, and more emancipated into the tumult of life than Fantine the Blonde, who was still in her first illusions. Dahlia, Zephine, and especially Favorite could not have said as much. There had already been more than one episode in their romance, though hardly begun, and the lover who had borne the name of Adolf in the first chapter had turned out to be Alphonse in the second and Gustave in the third. Poverty and coquetry are two fatal counsellors. One scolds and the other flatters, and the beautiful daughters of the people have both of them whispering in their ear, each on its own side. These badly guarded souls listen hence the falls which they accomplish, and the stones which are thrown at them. They are overwhelmed with splendor of all that is immaculate and inaccessible. Alas! What if the Jungfrau were hungry? Favorite, having been in England, was admired by Dahlia and Zephine. She had had an establishment of her own very early in life, 
her father was an old unmarried professor of mathematics, a brutal man and a braggart, who went out to give lessons in spite of his age. This professor, when he was a young man, had one day seen a chambermaid's gown catch on a fender. He had fallen in love in consequence of this accident. The result had been favorite. She met her father from time to time, and he bowed to her. One morning, an old woman with the air of a devotee had entered her apartments and had said to her, You do not know me, mademoiselle. No, I am your mother. Then the old woman opened the sideboard and ate and drank, had a mattress which she owned brought in, and installed herself. This cross and pious old mother never spoke to Favorite, remained hours without uttering a word, breakfasted, dined, and supped for four, and went down to the porter's quarters for company, where she spoke ill of her daughter. It was having rosy nails that were too pretty which had drawn Dahlia to Listolier, to others, perhaps, to idleness. How could she make such nails work? She who wishes to remain virtuous must not have pity on her hands. As for Zephine, she had conquered Vameuil by her roguish and caressing little way of saying, Yes, sir. The young men were comrades, the young girls were friends. Such loves are always accompanied by such friendships. Goodness and philosophy are two distinct things. The proof of this is that, after making all due allowances for these little irregular households, Favorite, Zephine, and Dahlia were philosophical young women, while Fantine was a good girl. Good, someone will exclaim, and Ptolemyes? Solomon would reply that love forms a part of wisdom. We will confine ourselves to saying that the love of Fantine was a first love, a soul love, a faithful love. She alone, of all the four, was not called thou by a single one of them. Fantine was one of those beings who blossom, so to speak, from the dregs of the people. Though she had emerged from the most unfathomable depths of social shadow, she bore on her brow the sign of the anonymous and the unknown. She was born at Montreuil-sur-Mer, of what parents? Who can say? She had never known father or mother. She was called Fantine. Why Fantine? She had never borne any other name. At the epoch of her birth, the directory still existed. She had no family name. She had no family, no baptismal name. The church no longer existed. She bore the name which pleased the first random passer-by, who had encountered her, when a very small child, running bare-legged in the street. She received the name as she received the water from the clouds upon her brow when it rained. She was called Little Fantine. No one knew more than that. This human creature had entered life in just this way, at the age of ten, Fantine quitted the town and went to service with some farmers in the neighborhood. At fifteen, she came to Paris to seek her fortune. Fantine was beautiful and remained pure as long as she could. She was a lovely blonde with fine teeth. She had gold and pearls for her dowry, but her gold was on her head and her pearls were in her mouth. She worked for her living, then still for the sake of her living, for the heart also has its hunger. She loved. She loved Ptolemyes. An amour for him, passion for her. The streets of the Latin Quarter, filled with throngs of students and grisettes, saw the beginning of their dream. 
Fantine had long evaded Ptolemyes in the mazes of the hill of the Pantheon, where so many adventurers twine and untwine, but in such a way as constantly to encounter him again. There is a way of avoiding which resembles seeking. In short, the eclogue took place. Blachevelle, Listolier, and Fameuil formed a sort of group of which Ptolemyes was the head. It was he who possessed the wit. Ptolemyes was the antique old student. He was rich, he had an income of four thousand francs. Four thousand francs! A splendid scandal on Mount Sainte-Geneviève. Ptolemyes was a fast man of thirty, and badly preserved. He was wrinkled and toothless, and he had the beginning of a bald spot, of which he himself said with sadness, the skull at thirty, the knee at forty. His digestion was mediocre, and he had been attacked by a watering in one eye. But in proportion as his youth disappeared, gaiety was kindled. He replaced his teeth with buffooneries, his hair with mirth, his health with irony, his weeping eye laughed incessantly. He was dilapidated, but still in flower. His youth, which was packing up for departure long before its time, beat a retreat in good order, bursting with laughter, and no one saw anything but fire. He had had a piece rejected at the vaudeville. He made a few verses now and then. In addition to this, he doubted everything to the last degree, which is a vast force in the eyes of the weak. Being thus ironical and bald, he was the leader. Iron is an English word. Is it possible that irony is derived from it? One day Ptolemyes took the three others aside, with the gesture of an oracle, and said to them, Fantine, Dahlia, Zephine, and Favorite have been teasing us for nearly a year to give them a surprise. We have promised them solemnly that we would. They are forever talking about it to us, to me in particular, just as the old women in Naples cry to St. Januarius, Faccia Gialuta, fa o miracolo, yellow face, perform thy miracle. So our beauties say to me incessantly, Ptolemyes, when will you bring forth your surprise? At the same time, our parents keep writing to us, pressure on both sides. The moment has arrived, it seems to me. Let us discuss the question. Thereupon, Ptolemyes lowered his voice and articulated something so mirthful that a vast and enthusiastic grin broke out upon the four mouths simultaneously, and Blachevelle exclaimed, That is an idea. A smoky taproom presented itself. They entered, and the remainder of their confidential colloquy was lost in shadow. The result of these shades was a dazzling pleasure party which took place on the following Sunday, the four young men inviting the four young girls. End of Book 3, Chapter 2